Hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural. Here we are again, Emily. And I'm not sure what this episode's about other than breakfast. I remember something about breakfast. You know, oddly enough, there's only one mention of breakfast in this whole thing. Good. Because yeah. I'm already hungry. Right? Um, today we are actually going to be talking about four murders that took place at the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast in Newry, Maine in September of 2006. Now, at the time, it was described as the bloodiest crime in Maine in 14 years. Yeah, they don't have a whole lot of crimes in Maine. No. Other than, like, moose attacks. Probably. And I got curious about what the crime was 14 years prior to this. And apparently there was an arson fire that killed four people. Hmm. But we're not talking about that today. The murderer was actually a cook who was renting a room at the inn. And his name is Christian Charles Nielsen. No, it's on my bucket list. Like, I'm a big fan of, like, going deep into the wilderness and checking all of that out. And they have some of the coolest wooded areas in the whole U.S. So I want to check it out someday. Yeah. So Nuri is actually, like, in the western part of Maine. And it is a super small, super quiet town. Like, their their population is less than 400. But it is also home to the Sunday River Ski Resort, which is one of the largest and busiest ski resorts in the entire state, apparently. Wow. So lots of tourism, I'm guessing. Lots of tourism during the winter time, but any other part of the year, it's pretty quiet. Now, the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast was a farmhouse that was remodeled and converted into a seven-bedroom bed and breakfast. Ooh. I love those types of places, by the way. I mean, yeah, if, that- if you're going to go out into the middle of nowhere, it's so much cooler to spend it at a place like that instead of a you know four-star hotel or whatever. Yeah, I agree. And if you go to our Instagram, we'll post pictures of the house. It's at, like, ignoring what happens there. It's a really cute little, like, farmhouse. Right, yeah. So that's your little fun fact history about this place. Now we're going to talk about Christian Nielsen. Who the hell is he? I couldn't find a whole lot about him other than um, he was born May 2nd, 1975. And he had a pretty troubled childhood in that there was a big custody battle between his father, Charles, and his mom, Patricia. And he did have a little sister who was two years younger than him. And... According to an article in the Sun Journal, his mom didn't really offer a stable environment 
she was in a relationship with a guy named Michael Lewitt, who was in and out of trouble with the law. He spent some time in prison on charges related to burglary, theft, receiving stolen property, super fun stuff. And the judge in that case about the whole custody battle said, quote, the behavior of the children has undergone changes not viewed as positive, including uncontrolled urinating, excessive belligerence, and unusual nervousness, end quote. Now, if that's both kids, one kid, I'm not sure. It doesn't give a whole lot of details, but you can kind of get the idea that things are not going well at home. Yeah. And then in 1981, when Christian was six and his sister was four, the judge did grant custody of both of them to their dad, Charles. Okay, so they moved from one situation to the other. Does it get better for them? I think so. I there's there's not a lot of details about it. All other than like his mom ended up marrying that guy, but later divorced him in 1997, and. By my understanding and some of the articles that I read, she I think she tried to get joint custody again at one point. Um, and it was said in, in another article by the Sun Journal that there was multiple custody battles and um, both parents had been married and divorced a couple of times. Uh, but a psychologist had recommended that Christian and his sister be placed in their father's custody because uh, Charles's marriage at the time to a lady named Carol appeared to be a lot more stable and a lot more positive for the children. I'm not sure if he had visitation with his, if they had visitation with their mom or anything. I, I would safely assume so, but none of that is confirmed. And then, uh, his dad did eventually get divorced from Carol. I'm not sure when. Uh, and then at some point he married his third wife, Lee Graham, who would be the one that was, um, present during the aftermath of the murders and was like the first person that talked to the police that showed up on scene that day. Mm. So that's really all I could find about his childhood. Specifically, I, I really don't know what his home life was like if he had trouble in school. Um, but we'll find out later that, you know, there's a lot of suspected mental health conditions and like, if you look at pictures of him, if you look at his face, it looks like he does have a lot of acne scarring and you know how kids are, they're assholes. And so I wonder, yeah, sometimes they can fustigate their way through a lot of situations. Yeah. So I wonder if he was bullied or anything, but you know, friends, former coworkers, classmates, um, had said that he was mostly a normal kid, kind of odd, kind of quiet. A former employer said that he was a hard worker and no one expected this from him. How often do we hear that? Oh, all the time. <laughs> Isn't that but, crazy? You know, okay, so um, his, Christ, his uh, Christian's youth group counselor at the church group said after the murders, how could that cute little blonde-headed kid turn into a murderer? Hmm. But... On the other hand, the owner of a local bookstore said that Christian was a frequent customer of his, and he described him as having a, an erratic personality. He seemed very closed off, but 
He was very smart and he enjoyed classic literature and comedy. And, you know, other people said that he seemed prone to mood swings and lived a, quote, somewhat aimless life, but seemed harmless. Sometimes kids can turn it on and off if they're in a certain situation, if they're in a church group, say, then they can pretend like they're a a great little angel. But then other people see them in different circumstances and they definitely have a different perception. Yeah, well, and here's the thing, too. So there's a there's an episode about him on um, Signs of a Psychopath on Discovery Plus. Yeah, what good show, by the way. Yeah, so I watched his episode, and um, you see in one point, because he does, spoiler alert, he does end up confessing to everything. Um, and there's there's one point where he is showing a detective, like, walking her through what he did with one of his victims and he's walking through kind of like a wooded area. And there's one point where, you know, there, there, there's a lot of branches and he moves the branches out of the way for her to walk through. Wow. And a sign of empathy. You'd think. And she says, Oh, thank you. And he says, Oh, Hey, you're welcome, Jen. And then, um, you know, one of the psychiatrists or psychologists or whatever comes in and says, you know, this, this is just what, it's 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 learned that that's what you do but the emotions like the being empathetic or you know just trying to be kind aren't there is not actually yeah. there yeah so i wonder if that's not what was you know he was kind of like masking it yeah. or whatever you know he kind of knew how he was supposed to act so that's what he did yeah and that's even more scary sometimes than people that don't have those emotions when you know that they're faking right it. Also, he seemed to have a pretty arbitrary college career. He graduated high school and he attended the University of Maine at Farmington and he was studying English. His dad was actually a high school English teacher. And the university itself said that he had attended a handful of semesters between 2001 and 2004, but he never graduated. And I saw in one article something mentioned about maybe him trying to enlist in the military, but Mm. I wasn't able to confirm that. And he didn't really have a criminal history either, other than, you know, like some speeding tickets, parking tickets, like the most, the, the worst thing on his record was a DUI. Right. So pretty mundane stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think even though he was described as a hard worker, I think he had a little bit of trouble holding down a job, but like he might've had a problem with alcohol, hence the DUI. Um, He told, he had apparently told former coworkers that he was going to get himself on the right track and stop drinking. Um, A former coworker of his, Kristen Dory, who worked with him at the family fair restaurant in Farmington said, quote, I thought Christian's finally finding a place for himself. End quote. So apparently he was around here saying, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to get on the right track. And he um, he did not because he was fired from that family fair restaurant. And he moved from Farmington to Nori and rented the room at the Black Bear Bread and Breakfast. Which I think Farmington is, I looked on the map and I forgot to write it down, but I think it's like an hour or so away. Yeah, hour-ish, yeah. Yeah. So Christian also worked at the Sudbury Inn in Bethel, 
as a line cook, which that was about 10 minutes away from the Black Bear, give or take. Now, um, the owner of the Black Bear, her name was Julie, and her daughter helped her run it, and her daughter's name was Selby, and Selby also had two kids, and they had moved from, they had moved to Maine from California about three years earlier after Selby's husband died in a car accident. And Julie did also run a B&B in California, so they just moved to the complete opposite side of the country right. looking for a fresh start. But yet still had some experience in the industry. Yeah. And along with helping her mom out at the B&B, Selby owned an eyeglass shop and she did nails and occasionally worked as a waitress at one of the local restaurants. And she had also recently gotten her real estate license and worked with her friend Cindy Beetson at Apple Tree Realty in Bethel. So Selby honestly kind of just seems like a like a little hustler. She's wearing a go getter. Yeah, she's wearing all kinds of different hats. Like you uh, go I feel to, lazy just hearing about her. You gotta hurt you can't you can't <laughs> see very good. Go have her check your eyes while you're waiting for your glasses to arrive, get your nails done. Maybe she'll bring you a couple cocktails and then she'll help you buy a new house. Like all, all in one appointment. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> now we are going to fast forward to the murders because that's really all I know about Christian's past, Julie and Selby. So it's Labor Day weekend, 2006. Picture it. You're in Maine. It's Friday, September 1st. At this point, Christian has been living at the Black Bear for about two months. Now, Christian's first victim was James Whitehurst. He was 50 years old, originally from Arkansas. Uh, at the time he was living at the Black Bear, he was a handyman, kind of helped Julie around fixing things that needed to be fixed, kind of doing his thing. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about him other than he did suffer from polio. So he had an interesting body shape, which Christian mentions. So he had a really broad upper body mm -hmm. and his legs were very small, which right. is because of the polio. And like I said, Christian mentions that later to the detectives. So what happened here was Christian invited Jimmy on a trip into the woods, maybe to go fishing, go for a hike. I'm not sure, in, in Upton, which is right down the road. So they're walking through the woods and they both take a seat on a rock or a fallen log or something. And Christian bums a cigarette from him. You know, they're sitting there chatting, having a cigarette. <coughs> and Christian says, hey, I'll be right back. I got to go to the bathroom. And Jim's like, yeah, okay, you know, cool, cool. And Chris, so Christian stands up, walks behind him like he's going to go off into the woods to pee. Instead, he pulls a gun out of his waistband, turns around, and just shoots Jimmy in the head. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Jim... Out of nowhere like that. Yeah. And Christian tells detectives, like, as they're walking, he was like, yeah, I knew I was going to kill him. That's why I brought him out here. And the detective was like, well, did, did he know that? And Christian was like, right. well, he, I guess not, because he's dead and I'm alive. So there was no, you know, he wasn't provoked. There was no real motive or. No. And he does later, Christian does later on say that he had been thinking about killing someone for a long time. 
And so he just wanted to kill someone. Yeah. Wow. So after Jim's body falls over to make sure that he's dead, Christian shoots him a second time. Now it's then that um, he grabs him by the legs and drags him farther into the woods. And then uh, Christian told detectives that he may have shot him a third time, but he wasn't sure. He didn't remember. So then he put the gun back in his waistband, walked back to the B&B and went to work. Just like nothing ever happened. Just like nothing ever happened. And then he went to bed and the next morning, so now we're on Saturday the 2nd, he returns to Jim's body with the intent to bury him. Um, He started to dig a grave, which was apparently too hard for him because it was a very, very shallow grave. Mm. And he ended up walking into town, getting some gas, returning to Jim's body and lighting it on fire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. Now, Christian says that he didn't plan to kill anyone else. And it wasn't until uh, Saturday night at work when he decided that he was going to kill Julie because he figured it wasn't going to take long for Julie to realize that Jim had gone missing. And what was he going to say when Julie started asking questions, which. That's such a dumb rationale. (laughs) I mean, yeah, because then then it's only going to spiral out of control even more and, it, it and it's going to draw more suspicion to you. It, it does spiral out of control. I mean, I feel like ugh, devil's advocate here. If if I was going to do this, I would have stopped at Jim because who is he? There's not there's yeah. not really anything publicly available about him. I mean, that could have. And that's probably what he was thinking about in the first place. That's probably why he chose him. Yeah. You know? Maybe. So anyway, it's it's Saturday morning. Christian gets his gun. And um, he was walking outside around the house and went to Julie's window. And he started to open the window, but figured it was too loud. And he didn't want to wake Julie up because she was right there sleeping yeah so he walks back around to the front kicks in the door um and that didn't work so then he slammed into it with his shoulder and the door just flies open and he goes and walks towards julie's bedroom now at this point julie wakes up and she's she's like yells she's like what the hell and christian just starts shooting her oh my god this guy andy if you guys go and watch that documentary about him, this guy is such a freaking cunt. I, uh, as he's, when he's making his confession to the investigators, when he gets to this part, he says, quote, it blew her out of the bed and into the wall. It was amazing. End quote. So he was getting off on this. Clearly. This whole time. When he's telling investigators about it, he's smiling, he's laughing, he's making jokes. He does not care that he killed four people. He does not care at all. Unbelievable. I just, yeah, I just, I can't. I don't know how these investigators, they they do their jobs because this whole time, like I said, he's just laughing and making jokes. I would throw hands. You and me both. Yeah. So Julie's dead now. And... Uh, Christian 
gets a chainsaw. He gets a hacksaw. I think he I think he used an axe to dismember her body. And is her daughter at work at this point? Or is her daughter not around, I'm assuming, right now? Right. Her daughter's not around. Okay. I don't I'm I'm honestly not even sure. I don't think her daughter lived okay. there. I think she lived in town. Gotcha. Yeah. Christian dismembers her body, wraps her in a tarp, drags her out to the woods, and Christian goes back to work. But now his thoughts and his attention turn to Julie's daughter, Selby. Of course, yeah. It starts to spiral out of control even more as we see in other murderers and serial killers. Yep. So now it's Sunday, I believe. And Selby shows up at the B&B. She was trying to call her mom, wasn't getting a hold of her. So she shows up. Yeah. She's worried. Yeah. And she's she's asking where her mom is. And then Christian is like, well, shit, I killed Julie so she wouldn't ask about Jim. Now I got to kill Selby so she won't ask about Julie. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no. Oh, this is still Saturday when Selby was asking about her initially. Okay. So he got off work Saturday night at about 10 p.m. And he goes home goes to bed, he gets up the next morning, and he's sitting there having breakfast, he's cleaning up, and then, trigger warning here, he, this motherfucker, he shoots the dog. Oh, the dog? The dog, you want to know why? What the hell did the dog have to do with it? According to Christian, he said the dog was 12 or 13, and it was just, quote, too old for a dog. Because he couldn't care about anybody else other than himself anyway, especially an animal. So why would he want to try and care for this dog who I'm assuming Julie had been taking care of? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, the dog was old, so I was putting it out of its misery Unbelievable. because I just killed its owner. And, th- you know, th- this makes me want to throw hands even more because I'm one of those people where if I'm watching a movie and the dog dies... That makes me more sad than when the people die. I mean, I don't know about you. I, if someone killed my dog, I would go John Wick on their oh ass. Oh, my God. Fuck yeah. No, no questions asked. Right? But honestly, yeah. I'm going to tell you. I'm not sure worse. about a cat, but definitely a dog. It gets worse. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love my cat. Well, it gets worse from here. Put your seatbelts on, kids. So later that afternoon, Selby and her friend Cindy show up. Looking for Julie. Yeah. So she's probably already a little, I don't know if suspicious is the right word, but certainly concerned. She's bringing her friend with her. They're going to go check the place out. So at this point, Christian had already decided that he had to kill Selby because she's asking about her mom. But now because Cindy came with her, he's he's like, I got to kill them both. She's got to go too. Yep. Now, while they're still outside, he quick runs, he grabs his gun, stuffs it in his uh, waistband. They come up to the house and they're asking where Julie is. They can't get a hold of her. They're worried, etc. Selby went off into the house to look for her mom. And Cindy is just sitting in the office talking with Christian. And then Selby enters her mom's bedroom and she says something. Now, Cindy goes out, Christian follows and when they get to the doorway, um, Selby's already in there. Cindy's in front of him. You know, Christian's standing in the doorway. And Selby says, Christian, did you kill my mother? 
Hey partners, I'm Denisha. And I'm Dana. And we are the host of the new podcast called Partners in Crime, where we discuss true crime, paranormal, and the weird. Join us on your daily adventures, whether you're working out, driving, chilling with a friend, and if you're brave enough, just before you go to bed. Like, subscribe, leave a review, and check us out. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Cassie and Wine and True Crime has transformed into True Crime Trophy. I'm bringing you cases straight out the True Crime Trophy cabinet and I need you to help me sort them into gold, silver or bronze. Get in touch with us on our social media and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So Sylvie asks Christian, Christian, did you kill my mother? Now, Christian is just perplexed on how she could have possibly come to that conclusion because, as he said, he, quote, cleaned up most of the blood. But I'm sure he didn't. Just like the shallow grave, I'm sure there was residue everywhere, and she probably caught on pretty quick once she got inside the room. Well, he says most of the blood. So how much is actually left? But he thought right. that the broken door was what gave it away. Not sure. Yeah. Anyway, but milliseconds after she finishes her sentence, Christian shoots Cindy in the back of the head. And then quickly it turns the gun on Selby and also shoots her in the head. Oh my now, God. Now, if you remember, Selby has two kids. Yeah, that's right. Whose father died back in California and now their mom is dead. Oh my gosh, those poor kids. I know. And like during the during the the trial or the hearing, her son made a statement that I I couldn't find the whole statement, but he he mentions like now my mommy like now my mom and dad are dead and what am I supposed to do? It's just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Man, I can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, oh, those poor kids. Anyway, after killing the two women and using various types of saws again to cut up their bodies, he put them in tarps again and kind of drug them back behind the house, like to the other side by the woods. Now, here's where things get really weird, in my opinion. It's at this point, Christian decides to call his dad. Hmm. And he says, hey, dad, I need you to come over here, come to the B&B. I can't imagine what he needed help from from his dad. <laughs> I mean, it, because uh, it, it's not like you can be like, oh, yeah, hey, dad, come help me bury these bodies or dispose of these bodies. 
That doesn't seem suspicious. Yeah, and it's well, it's un it's unclear why he decided to call his dad, but he did. So his dad and stepmom show up around 5:30 p.m. and they see a trail of blood going behind the house and you know, I think it they're like what like is Christian okay? He called us to come here. So they follow the blood and they find the bodies of Cindy and Selby behind the inn. Oh my god. Yeah, so his dad calls the police or his stepmom. I'm not sure which one of them does, but they call the police, report everything. Yeah. Now Trooper Dan Hansen of the Maine uh, State Police arrives. And he first talks with Christian's stepmom, Lee. And she told him that her husband, Charles, was the one that found the bodies. Now, Dan pulls, you know, Christian aside and is like, hey, you know, will you talk to me about what happened here? And Christian's like, yeah, but I don't want to say it more than once. So he didn't ask him any more questions after that. And he put Christian in his squad car. Now, as they're waiting for backup, um, Charles took the cops around the building, um, fought, you know, showing the, them the trail of blood um, back to where the dismembered bodies were hidden in some bushes. Now, Christian had cut off both of the girls' fingers oh. because he said he wanted to take their rings. What? And you remember when I said that shit was going to get worse after the first dead dog? Yeah. There's two more dead dogs. What the hell is his obsession with killing dogs here? Okay, so Christian said that he killed those dogs so they didn't get the fingers and take them outside and lose the rings. Talk about the dumbest excuse I've ever heard for killing an animal. Yeah. Well, I have to wonder if he was trying to take jewelry as trophies or for whatever reason like why would he call his dad did he i mean during Mm -hmm. the interview with detectives even they was this a moment of panic you think he had you know that he's you know because he was kind of uh didn't you say he had a pretty normal upbringing for the most part other than the divorce and everything and maybe he subconsciously reached out to his dad for help, not realizing what was going to happen. Yeah, probably. I mean, cause during the, during the interview with the police that he, um, they were like, well, so you called your dad. What did you tell your dad? And he said, Oh, nothing, nothing really. And the detective was like, well, what did your dad think? And he said, quote, well, he didn't think it was awesome or anything. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Right. So he is arrested and he's taken to the Newry Fire Station to be interviewed. When he sits there, the detectives ask him, hey, why don't you tell us what happened? Start at the beginning. And Christian says, quote, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> I hate him almost as I hate him almost as much as I hate BTK. Ooh. We'll talk about. Him yeah, that, that's putting it up there. So Christian says, okay, we're talking about dead people, right? Is that what you want me to talk about? Like it's not even worth talking about because they're dead at this point. Yeah. 
Wow, that's fucked up. It's almost it's almost like he he thinks that all of these other people should just understand why he why he killed them. Like why is it such right. a like they're you know? Yeah, what's the big deal? Yeah. And they asked him, Okay, why did you kill Jimmy? And he said, quote, I don't know. I just objected to his presence. Fuck you. Right? He's so oh Oh, my God. Now, the psychiatrist on Signs of a Psychopath said that, yeah, he was indifferent to what he was talking about when he was talking to the detectives about the about the scene, telling him, telling them what he had done. And um, when asked about the gun, he said, quote, that's what you use to kill people. End quote. He he thought that shooting them was the most, quote, humane way to do it wow sounds like some neurons weren't firing in the right place in his head or something you know he just yeah he has no regard not only no empathy but no decency and no no moral fiber in his in his body whatsoever yeah now he never confessed to having any specific motive other than he'd been thinking about killing someone for many years. And he did mention something about wanting to take over the inn. Hmm. Okay. And we'll get into that here in a second. So it's suspected that there may have been a dispute between Julie and Christian about rent that may have triggered all of this. So according to Julie's friend, Marsha, Julie was planning on selling the Black Bear Inn and moving to New York City to live with her other daughter because, you know, financial issues with running the B&B. Right. She, she was basically renting the rooms to Christian and Jim to make ends right. meet. Whatever. It's her, it's her own issues. It's got nothing to do with them. Right. And police never commented or confirmed this, but if he wanted to take over the inn and there was some sort of argument or he wasn't paying the right amount of rent, you know, something between him and Julia, like she did put the inn up for sale back in February. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like maybe he talked to her about wanting to take it over. She said no, but he also told detectives that he had no intention at first of killing Julie, his target was right. Jim. So so it seems like that wasn't the motive. Right. And this is also assuming that he was telling the truth when right. Jim was his only target. Who knows? Yeah. So Christian confesses to everything in gruesome detail. He, he led the detectives. He told the detectives where Jim's body was. And then, you know, after the scene had been kind of processed, you know, he went out there with a couple of the detectives and walked them through what happened step by step. And while this is happening, one of the detectives asks him if he did it because he's evil. And yeah. he says, evil? Like, he's absolutely shocked that she would consider calling him evil. He says, he says, no, I'm a, he says, no, I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. How dare you? You killed four people and three dogs. <laughs> three dogs. 
<laughs> Good thing I saw that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. <laughs> I don't feel quite as bad now. Yeah, now after all of that, he's taken to the Oxford County Jail and held without bail to await trial. And he's officially charged with four counts of murder. There should have been some animal abuse charges tackled on to that, if you ask me. But that's neither here nor there. No shit. No. His whole defense strategy was, well, I'll let you take a guess. What do you think the defense strategy was going to be? Well, first, I mean, did he plead not guilty? Yes. I mean, oh my God. Initially. Okay, so I'm on guessing. What grounds? Did he say insanity or? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So yeah. they went with the insanity defense. Now, with that type of defense, you have to be evaluated psychiatrically. Right. Thoroughly. And, yeah. And he was ruled competent. Hmm. He was declared not legally insane, but that he did suffer from schizophrenia, antisocial personality disorder, some other mental health problems. And it was suspected that there was some Asperger's in there. Um, but it was ruled, you know, they did decide that he was not in a psychotic state at the time of the murders. Now, Christian said that if he was found incompetent, that he would go with the insanity defense. But if he was found competent, which he was, that he would plead guilty because he didn't want to go to trial, (laughs) quote, simply because the verdict would be guilty. Sounds like he knew. I mean, that's that's the dumbest rationale I've ever heard of. So, oh, if, if I'm found insane, this is all good. But if I'm found sane, then uh, I'll plead guilty. Yeah, well, it's I don't want to go to trial because I don't want to put the remaining family members through the pain of having to see and hear everything that happened to their loved ones. No, which is bullshit. Yeah, it's I'm not going to go to trial because I know it's going to be guilty. His trial was set to begin October 9th, and then it was the day before his trial was supposed to begin that he changed his plea to guilty. Mm. Yeah, so he pled guilty. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison on October 18th, 2007, and he is currently serving his sentence at the Maine State Prison. So they don't have uh, capital punishment in Maine, I'm taking it? No. Okay. So he's in there rotting away. Um, he he has tried to get some appeals on some bullshit reasons like, oh, um, my confession wasn't supposed to be like used or something <laughs> like he was coerced by the by the police. It, uh, I didn't I didn't even take notes on the whole thing because it was just complete total bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. I think cuz he he has no no possibility of parole, none of that. So I think his motive for trying to do these appeals and trying to like he's never said no I didn't do it. Right. He's never said that. I think he's just trying to get his sentence changed so that he may be able to be paroled and released, which even I feel like even if that was an option that was on the table for him, that that wouldn't happen anyway. Right. Yeah. Because what is he in his? He's in his 40s at this point, I think. Yeah. 
he still thinks that there's a chance for him to live a life outside of prison. Right. Which no, because you're just you're you're no. gonna do it again. You have no remorse. I forget I forget do you know what there's like three or four qualifying things that you have to show in order to be released. And I know one of them is to like be remorseful for what you did. Yeah. That's the biggest one. That's the biggest one. Not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my hope that every night when this guy goes to sleep, that he ends up having nightmares of those dogs chasing him and attacking him. That sounds incredible. <laughs> right? I would agree with that. Yeah, so that's the case of the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast murders. Well, thanks a lot. You uh, scared the hell out of me ever wanting to go to a bed and breakfast ever again. So, mission accomplished. You're welcome. <laughs> as far as I know, I don't. I couldn't find anything about what actually happened to this place, but it's not a B and B anymore, from what I could find. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, after all of the horrific murders that happened there, it would it would be hard to keep that going. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, do we have any listeners from Maine? Ooh. Hit us up and let us know if you know what's going on with the place. You can do that on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod, on Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. You can get at us on Facebook, Unnatural a True Crime Podcast. Send us a Gmail, Unnatural the Podcast at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon page set up, and that is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. Make sure you rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends. Andy, I'm not going to let you mention the dead social media page. I was just going to ask, don't we have a Vine set up? Remember Vine? Vine is dead. How dare you? (laughs) So that's a wrap. That is season one. Oh, my God. The end is here, Emily. Well, not really, though. It's not the end. It is the turning of the page. Oh, I like that. We're going into the next Onto chapter. the next chapter. Jinx. Hey, yeah, we even jinxed. That That right there tells you that we were meant to do this podcast. And um, I don't know about you, Emily, but I've had so much fun this season. We were just talking about this off the air. It kind of surpassed all the goals that we had And we can't wait for season two. I am so excited for season two. I have some stuff up my sleeve that I haven't even told you about. Ooh, okay. That's what we call tease, folks. So season two is coming in a few months. Not the first time I've been called that. That's true. That's true. I I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Anyway, um, season two, that's coming in a few months. But in the meantime... We have a few mini-sodes that we're going to be sharing. Mini-sodes, surprises, maybe some audio extras. Who knows? But we're not just going to leave you guys hanging between now and the official start of season two. If you are a listener on Apple Podcasts, you have the ability to leave reviews for us, and we would love to get some reviews. So here's the deal. If you leave us a five-star um, and leave us a review, either like take, like take a screenshot of it, send it to our Gmail, Instagram, or Twitter, 
and we will send you like we'll get in touch with you and we will send you a special surprise also known as a super awesome super cool custom sticker oh i thought you were gonna say a selfie that would have been tough for me I could send, I have a Polaroid. I could also send a an autographed Polaroid for when we never get famous. For sure. Let's do that. But maybe it would come in handy if I ever got murdered. That's true. And That could be. And then I would do a podcast memorial in your honor. You, I hope so. <laughs> if I ever got around to it. See, I wouldn't have you to keep me in line, so it'd be pretty tough. Carry on without me. Oh, my gosh. And you're going to have to carry on without us, but not for too long. And again, we've got those mini episodes coming in just a few weeks. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us. It has been a wild ride, Emily, but I couldn't have thought of anyone else that I wanted to have this ride with. It's been great. Yeah, it's been so great. And on that note, we will see you next season. Cheers. Goodbye, good night, make good choices, don't get got. Is that our tagline? Did we just figure out our tagline? Oh my God! Ah! Make good choices, don't get got. Hashtag Trademark. That's ours. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. takes I'm done you gotta leave the people wanting more Andy